You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today, we're going to talk about something that we should talk about more, um, and that's mental health in the restaurant and hospitality industry. Um, and we're today with me is Laura Louise Green, LPC, who's the founder of Healthy Poor. And we're going to talk a little bit about what Healthy Poor is, what they're doing um, to help people in the industry. So welcome, uh, Laura. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit about Healthy Poor, how it came about, how you founded it, um, you know, just the, the bullet points of the background for us. Yeah, for sure. So I, um, I had been working in hospitality since I was 16 in some form or another. And, you know, I also had a really delightful um, career in theater and music where I was like touring and successful and stuff, but hospitality was always the backbone of, I would say my adult life. It had all, it was always there. It was the constant. It was always there to catch me you know, when things went south or between tours and gigs. Um, I found in around, around 2012, I had entered like the craft cocktail world prior to that but around 2012 I was really like I, I don't think that this is something for me long term I started to get really concerned about my health my drinking my well-being my financial life I was like I don't know that I don't know if I keep going down this path if I'm going to make it till 40 and I decided to go back to school and become a therapist I wanted out of the industry you know I loved it I loved everything about it except for like there wasn't any sort of I didn't see a longevity to it <clears throat> so went back to school while I was in school, I, my career started like building traction and um, started, you know, growing. And by the time I graduated in 2017, I was a licensed therapist at that point. And I looked around and I was like, all of the reasons that I wanted to leave, I've now built the skills to address. I could see why we were drinking. I could see the patterns of all of these things. I could see the trauma behind all of it. And, um, so I decided at that point to start focusing my career on hospitality and the mental health in the hospitality industry and see if maybe I could do something to address these issues. So at that point, Healthy Poor was really just me talking to people about like, when we talk about substance use issues, it's not just an individual problem, it's the entire community and how we are all a part of this issue that we're running into. Like we, we all contribute to it in some way or, um, you know, speaking a little bit about the stress in hospitality industry, what burnout really is and what that looks like. Um, so from there though, as I started doing some research and like proper rigorous research, like academic stuff on burnout in the hospitality industry and its relationship to stress and drinking, I found more about organizational psychology. And I started like really diving into like, oh, burnout isn't, burnout is a result of the workplace, not necessarily the individual or the circumstances, it's the workplace environment. So I got deeper and deeper into workplace stuff. You know, the last four years, five years, oh my God, since then, it's really, Healthy Poor has really evolved. And something that I've been um, really, something that's very important to me in the work with Healthy Poor is that we are constantly moving and um, shaping to what the industry needs. So right now what Healthy Poor is, and I'm, I'm so excited about where I've landed with this, is that 
it's a consultancy. So we work with bars and restaurants and sometimes brands and sometimes like communities in general to assess what's going on in the space and help bars and restaurants be healthier so that their workplace is healthier. And the idea behind it is individuals, we all have our own stuff and that's stuff that we need to kind of deal with, you know, outside of the workplace, but the workplace itself should not be a traumatic space and it shouldn't be re-traumatizing either. So all of that being said, I'm a licensed clinician professional who goes into workspaces and helps you to make them safer and healthier. Um, yeah, that's healthy poor. So you mentioned burnout. Um, so mm -hmm. what are some of the ways to recognize burnout? Yeah, so there's, so burnout comes in three stages that we see. The first stage is exhaustion. So when we refer to burnout, usually what we're talking about is this first stage of burnout of like, I'm just really tired. I don't have the emotional resources. I don't have like the physical resources to do this. I'm just exhausted. Um, the second stage though, and this is the really integral stage to look at is cynicism. Um, cynicism and dehumanization actually are in the second stage. So those moments where you see someone walk into the restaurant and they seem like a very nice couple, a very nice group. And instead of being like, oh, I'm so excited for them to dine with us. You're like, oh my God, get out of here. Go home. I don't like you. I don't want to serve you. Don't want to take care of you. Um, so we see that from a front of house standpoint, but like, if you look at manager or back of house, we also might see, you know, we, ha we hear that old trope of managers being like, all I am is a babysitter and or like treating employees as if they're disposable or dispensable or just numbers on a spreadsheet. Um, those are symptoms of like dehumanization and um, the cynicism that comes in. And if it's a cynicism that you can't really shake, like everything is sort of like tainted and dark, that's pre a pretty clear indication that you're moving into some solid burnout. And also if we don't intervene at the exhaustion point, we do need to intervene at the cynicism point and sort of reel someone back in and see what's going on that's like really causing this. The third stage of burnout um, is when we start to see uh, a lack of productivity. Um, people are ineffective at work. It's when you're at work for 80 hours, but you got done 20 hours worth of work in that time. Um, you just stop being good at your job type stuff. And that once we hit that point, it's a really hard thing to come back from. Um, usually it takes a massive overhaul and roll or a change in environment or someone leaving their job to really get rid of. Burnout isn't something that you can fix with a two hour, two week vacation. Um, it takes, because you can take that two week vacation, but if you come back into the environment as it is, it's just gonna come right back. Right. And then that's even more um, insidious in that way. And, you know, what you're talking about is, you know, an individual, but that individual has a, an effect on the whole culture of the organization. Um, exactly. So, you know, how does how do you you know, how do you combat that so that, it, you know, it doesn't kind of become like a virus that spreads throughout an organization? And it, you are absolutely when you said a virus, it, you're absolutely right. These these behaviors and feelings are absolutely contagious. And the same thing is true for quitting. When somebody quits, it's like a quitting contagion. Someone sees like, oh, they quit, I'm gonna quit too. Um, they feel empowered to do so. But in order to intervene, I mean, my recommendation is always to talk to, to, talk to your teams, talk to your staff and like listen to what they have to say. Um, 
but in terms of what causes burnout and how to really um, make sure that it's not like seeping into your entire organization, um, very clear um, goals, very clear, creating very clear job descriptions for people, um, making sure that people are getting feedback all the time, that they know what they're doing is the right thing that they're doing, or if it's not what it needs to happen to give that feedback too. Um, you know, these are all like very slow drip emotional processes. Not it's, So it's different from stress in the way that stress comes on because there is a stressor. There's something, let's say you get sat like four tables at a time. And that is a stressful situation. It comes on immediately. Burnout is something that's a little bit of a slow burn. So like if somebody doesn't have a clear job description or they're doing things outside of what their role should be, they're doing that day after day, day after day. And then if you compound that with like, you're not getting any sort of feedback or even praise or appreciation. That's when burnout starts to seep in because it's like, what's what's even the point that I'm doing this? There's social so social support in that way. Social support and organizational support are both ways to mitigate burnout in the workplace. So making sure that people are socially supported, that they feel like they belong. It's not just about fitting in. It's about feeling like they belong and they have voice. Um, and then uh, organizational support that the organization like cares about them and cares about their well-being and the work that they're doing. Right. So um, why do you think Anthony Bourdain's suicide was a big wake up call for the restaurant industry, particularly regarding mental illness? Yeah. So like that was a time. Oh, my gosh. That was what I saw was an entire industry of people who saw themselves in this man. I think what was so compelling about Anthony Bourdain is he was so relatable. He was in a lot of ways, incredibly vulnerable and showed so many facets of who he is. And um, people loved that and, and rightfully so. But then when he died, they also saw themselves in him at the same time. They're like, I related so deeply to this man and he did that. And I think it was, uh, um, I mean, it was a wake up call in a lot of ways of like, we all need to start taking better care of ourselves in, in whatever way that looks like. Um, it was a hard time. It was a hard time for me. It was incredibly frustrating because I had already been started doing this work. And then suddenly people are paying attention and people are calling me and there's like newspapers and talking to me about interviews and stuff. And I was just so, I was sad. I was, you know, I love Anthony Bourdain. Like that was, that was, it was its own form of mourning and grief. But I was like, it shouldn't take the death of someone that we love to really pay attention to these things. We have to be more proactive about it. Right. So in addition to that, now we have the pandemic and which yes. is going on much longer than, than we ever thought. And, you know, yeah. uh, First of all, we had lockdowns where people were out of work and then people weren't coming back to work um, mm -hmm. and dealing with staffing shortages and now supply chain issues and dealing with customers who are uh, more demanding than ever. Um, so how how should people be kind of dealing with these these stresses um, and are there like any kind of on the spot coping skills say they're having a bad day they just got seated four tables as you're talking about yeah. and you know they need to kind of decompress right then and there to be able to mm -hmm. kind of just get done with that day's service yeah so the way i refer to those things as like in the moment things is 
ways that we can regulate our nervous system. Because like when we, we, we find ourselves in a stressful situation, like our body just goes into hyperdrive. It's that whole like fight, flight, freeze type thing. Um, you know, our cortisol increases, our adrenaline increases, we start sweating, we like sort of lose this like cognitive nuance, we are hyper focused on like survival. So to get out of that process, because it's like, we're not dealing with running away from a lion, we're dealing with four tables that sat down like there is our, our but our body really doesn't know the difference when we're feeling stressed. So in order to sort of come back to a baseline and like sort of regulate your nervous system, something you might want to do, it's called progressive muscle relaxation. So like a great way to start would be just to like squeeze your fists really tight and then release them with an exhale. Um, Maybe scrunch your shoulders really tight and release it with an exhale, you know, and do that throughout your body. You can do it with your face, you can do it with your tongue, your toes. So you can do this in a way that you can be on the floor just sort of like clenching and relaxing your fists that'll bring you back. Breathing is always a great, really great way to um, sort of recalibrate. So it's called box breathing. It's breathing in on four, hold it at the top, exhale on four, hold it, you know, and so moving around like that. There's tons of that. If you, if you, um, if you just Google box breathing, you'll find even like YouTube videos that you can, that'll talk you through it. Um, just going and washing your hands. Like I recommend this a lot, going to wash your hands and just shaking your hands out afterwards. No one's looking around at you being like, Oh, Laura's regulating her nervous system right now, but shaking your hands out, just getting it like out of your body can be really helpful. It's like when you, when we see dogs shake it off, like that's them like coming back to baseline, getting their stress out of their body. It's kind of the same. It's doing the same thing, exercise, movement, anything like that will help. But just that little bit of shake is definitely going to um, definitely going to help out in that way in the moment. Um, And also just like emotionally just taking a beat, being like, I know I'm stressed. I know this is a lot. I'm going to chip away at this one thing at a time instead of just going into like massive hyperdrive and just trying to take care of everything at once. One thing at a time. When you have a client, um, you know, what's the Mm -hmm. process of them bringing you in and what, you know, how, what kind of practical approaches do you take working with them? Our ideal process is that someone brings us in, we conduct a form of audit and assessment that we're seeing what's going on, what's, what's everything looking like, what's, what are the motions in the restaurant, what are the relationships looking like between management and staff, what's the relationships between management and ownership, um, back of house and front of house. So we try to look at it to- like holistically. What is going on here? What are the individual dynamics that are happening and how, it's, how is it affecting the group? From there, we would put together a strategy plan of like, how do we need more training for the management team? Do we need more training for the staff? Do we need coaching or some sort of like one-on-one consulting or is there mediation that needs to happen? So coming up with a strategy of things that we can really adjust in real time in the moment and a long-term strategy of what that might look like of how do we start to change these things um for an example of this would be let's say turnovers like at 100 percent annually we would start to look at are you doing exit interviews what have people been saying what is the rate that people turn over is it is it like people stick around for a little while and then a bunch of people leave at once what's going on with that what are these cycles So then really working with the organization to sort through that and come up with different systems or adjusted systems um, that, you know, will address these things. And from there we monitor. So we see are are our changes working? 
are we relapsing a little bit? Are we going back into behavior? What does that look like? And then beyond that is going to be maintenance. But to help that, we've created the Healthy Poor Institute, which has a level one certification training that has six different parts around like emotional intelligence, understanding our relationship with alcohol and hospitality, how to talk about mental health in the workplace and boundaries, psychological safety, those things. And then we have more robust um, leadership skills training stuff, transformational leadership training. Um, you know, so many people go into management roles and they, they have never had any sort of like human training. You know, you could be a great chef or you can be a great, like you can make a great cocktail, but that doesn't mean you have the skills that an organization really needs to lead. And those are all learnable skills. It's not like it's innate, you know, we learn these things. So that's ideally what it looks like. What we find a lot nowadays is that people want me to come in and really talk about what mental health is and do the sort of like baseline stuff, which we're a hundred percent happy to do. But the real change comes from doing a more robust, proper consulting and, you know, really starting to change systems and, you know, be agile within that too. So how did the pandemic affect everything that you were trying to do before and kind of, kind of evolve? How did your business evolve? Oh, wow. Yeah. So the pandemic, oh my gosh, I did this podcast like on March 12th of 2020 <laughs> that this guy was like, what do we, oh my God. And he goes, what do we have to really do to address, to address the mental health industry and uh, mental health in the hospitality industry? <clears throat> and I said, oh, we need just to burn it all down. And it took me a year and a half to even listen back. I just listened to it like, oh my God, <sighs> so painful to listen to. I was like, I didn't mean it. <laughs> I didn't actually mean it. But the pandemic changed a lot. I think much like Anthony Dane's death, to your point, he, the pandemic just highlighted that we are, we've built an entire industry on, an, on a foundation that isn't solid. We built it on like sand. And I don't know if that's a good, I don't build houses. I shouldn't say that I know what a good foundation looks like, but whatever it is, it's not a, it's not a solid foundation. And we, definitely did not have the resources to navigate a crisis like this. Um, I don't know any, I don't know a lot of restaurants who did have any resources to navigate a crisis like this. Like it's not something that we think of like that, how, how the industry runs on these like razor, razor thin margins all the time, how we engage with our hourly staff, how that looks like it can't, it can't be like that anymore. Um, you know, this sort of like turn and burn, turning, pe bringing people in and chewing them up and spitting them out. Like we can't do that anymore, especially with the labor force as it is. Like we don't have these people waiting in the wings to come in and work. Like, and this isn't just true for the hospitality industry. This is true for all in in industries right now. We don't have the labor to support the commerce that we are creating. And the people who have left the workforce, they're gone. They're not, they're not coming back. And what we have is what we have. So it means that we really have to reimagine and rethink how our restaurants are operating. And it's a massive tragedy what's been happening for sure. But it's also a tremendous opportunity to say, how can we rebuild this stronger? What can we, what can we look at? What's not, what hasn't been working? What's been helping us to limp along? But like, how can we actually heal that? So as you mentioned, you know, a lot of people left the restaurant hospitality industry and have no plans on coming back. So 
in addition to, you know, maybe the pandemic, you know, not having an income during a lockdown period, um, what, what, what do you think were there other reasons for deciding that they were going to just do a, a total career change? I mean, it's a little different than your career change, um, you know, but why, what, what do you think were the stressors that they felt that made them want to say, hey, I'm, I'm just not going to do this anymore? I think it's a need for career growth and longevity and um, a sort of pathway, you know, because we don't we don't see that very often in hospitality. And this isn't again, this isn't just true for hospitality. And most of the reasons that we're seeing that people are leaving, I know I didn't say this earlier on, but I'm also studying I'm doing a second master's degree in organizational psychology. So it's, um, you know, I'm constantly consuming like what is the most recent like labor data? What are the trends looking like? What are the learning trends looking like? What we're finding a lot is that people, the primary reason that people are leaving is because they want um, career growth. And when people leave, it's not that they're leaving for the competition. It's not like they're going from one hotel to another. They're leaving the industry entirely. So like, let's say you have like a housekeeper in a hotel, they're not going from the Marriott to the W, even though I think that's the same company now, but that, I, yeah, Starwood, doesn't matter they're going from a hotel to a hospital is where they're going. So they're leaving the, they're leaving the industry entirely. And that's what we're seeing in hospitality as well. Um, a lot of people <clears throat> are leaving because maybe the work environment isn't what they want. Really interesting survey data has come back from 2020 to 2021 that like, so 2020 workplace engagement was surprisingly high across the board in all industries. And they, and then it dropped off in 2021, which on the surface doesn't really make sense because we're like, why it was 2020 was such a mess. And 2021, though it was painful, it was a little bit more um, regulated, if you will. It was it had kind of come into a consistency. But in 2020, we were asking people more like, how are you? Are you taken care of? Is your family OK? Do you have what you need? Um, and in 2021, we were a little bit less about that. And I think once people sort of tasted what it was like for their workplace to care about them, come 2021, when that wasn't happening, they're like, I'm going to make a change. I'm not going to stick around here, you know, if it's if I'm not getting what I need from it. Um, so career growth, environment, you know, a lot of family changes too. people want to be in a different situation to care for their families or to like care for their own health. Um, yeah, the career development. And then, of course, with career development, we're looking at like manager relationship opportunities for growth. And those things just don't really exist enough and as clearly in the hospitality industry. So I, I guess we need to start doing more career placements, career, you know, how where you can go where and, and kind of a focus more on uh, the industry as a career, as opposed to, yes. you know, the, the churn and burn that, that you were talking about before, where, uh, Abs you know, absolutely. there aren't going to be those people out there. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, if we come back to like the mental health aspect of that, if people are in a workplace environment that they don't see any growth in, and they're already struggling in whatever way, they don't want to be in an abusive environment that's going to take them nowhere. You know, right. so these things do feed into each other in a pretty cool way cool to me so, because I research it, but not right. Cool right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, years ago, you know, people were um, kind of hesitant to 
express their vulnerabilities and and how they were feeling. Um, and everybody knows a restaurant is a really stressful workplace. So you, it was kind of like either you were made for it or you weren't made for it, and you couldn't cut yeah. it. And you had you you got to get out of it. Um, but now you know people are a lot more open now to say, hey, you know, I, I'm feeling stressed or you know, really more in tune with their feelings um, and they want more of a safer workplace. So why do you think we have that transition where people are a little bit more, um, you know, willing to say, hey, I'm feeling stressed right now, whereas years ago they may have just kind of avoided it? Well, I think Brene Brown has a lot to do with that, to be honest. Um, you know, people and also the popularity of um, therapy just in general, we're seeing more people wanting to be emotionally healthy. And I think, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what the breaking point is, but I know in hospitality, in talking to my colleagues and the people who I came up with, you know, working behind bars and in restaurants and hotels and stuff, is that we are staying longer in the industry than we had anticipated. Like, I thought that I would be not, you know, even before deciding to go and get my, um, my first master's, I, I did not think I was going to be in the industry very long. And now it's like my, my life. And that's true for a lot of us. And, you know, we're an aging workforce. And I think that we see, I mean, much, much like to my experience in 2012, we see that there, unless something changes, there isn't much more for us. And we're also, I mean, the hospitality, because we stay longer and because, you know, the workforce in general is changing, the hospitality industry is incredibly educated, too. And we look around and we say, wait a second, these other industries don't have these other industries don't have these kind of like I don't go into work at a law firm. Well, maybe I don't know. I've never been a lawyer, but like you don't go into other jobs and get screamed at for, right. you know, oversearing the scallop. You know, like that's not something that happens in other workplaces. It would be considered really, really poor right. form. Like when I was a therapist, I'm not going to go in my agency and have my supervisor scream at me. But it's something that we expect and, you know, we expect and even sometimes crave in the hospitality industry, especially in kitchens. Um, I think the shift has to do with people just realizing that they can't last much longer if they keep going this way. And if you keep going upstream to see why you keep falling into these like emotional patterns and you're like, oh, it's, it's because I, 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 fe I am feeling things that I'm not addressing. So we talked a little bit about burnout, um, but what are some other kind of common um, things that you're seeing in restaurants and behaviors and, and patterns and things that, that could be improved? Oh man, off the top of my head, I'm thinking like, we have a lot of interpersonal tr trouble, you know, trouble with conflict resolution. That's largely because like a lot of us don't have the skills to approach conflict. Like conflict can be a source of creativity and growth. Um, it doesn't have to be angry, violent, you know. Um, so that's one thing. I think overall what I'm seeing a lot of is trauma, to be honest, um, and not just trauma from the hospitality industry, trauma carrying trauma coming into the hospitality industry. So that results in things like trouble with impulsivity, um, sort of this like short-term thinking as opposed to long-term thinking, 
um, you know, problems with people, people pleasing that we always put each other and, you know, guests and everybody first. And we put ourselves last to the point that we don't have anything left in the cup to pour out. Um, you know, drinking as a symptom of, uh, maladaptive coping and, um, you know, again, trauma, impulsivity control and stuff like that. Um, most of the work that I've been doing in terms of that has just consistently come back to trauma issues around boundaries. Like I'm going to work three 17 hour shifts in a row and I'm going to call it, you know, I'm going to be proud of that. Like, no, 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 that's not something to be proud of. That's not super great. Um, so yeah, those are the things I think we need to really watch out for, um, exploiting people who are very eager to contribute because that will definitely learn, lead to burnout. Like we get, we get, there are so many people coming into hospitality. They want to learn, they're eager, but they don't have those boundaries in place of like, I need some sort of work-life balance here. And those people are very easily exploited um, given work that is not theirs to do. Um, cause there is a difference between training somebody and grooming somebody into a different position and like just handing off, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but being really mindful that people don't have great boundaries and encouraging them to put up some boundaries around work is a very micro healing way to start address some, some of those underlying things like people pleasing trauma. So, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm a manager, you know, as you were talking about before, who, you know, kind of came into this, but I didn't really have all of those people skills, but I want to support my staff. Um, are there things that I can do easily without it coming across as inauthentic? Um, is yeah. it just a matter of doing, of having a check-in and saying, I just want to see how you're doing? Those sort of things, are, th- are there simple things that they can learn to do and then, you know, learn to listen and, and really hear what their staff is saying? So a really great way to start is to start accepting feedback from your team. And I'll admit it can be scary as heck, (laughs) you know, like asking for feedback because sometimes you're afraid of what's going to come back and that it might be painful or like you might've made a mistake and, you know, those things don't feel good, but a really easy way to get started into creating a culture of feedback, which then also creates a culture of higher psychological safety, is to go to your team and say, I'm trying to be better at what I can do for you and do for this organization. I would like to start practicing giving and receiving feedback. What feedback might you have for me? Or you can be even more specific and be like, a place where I'm not as confident in my work is xyz spot let's say um checking in with you at the end of the night can we practice checking in at the end of the night and you give me some feedback so this does a few things this one creates a map for this manager of where they need the work to do you know because people will start to tell them two and it's empowering the staff to have voice and input in what's happening and they aren't as handcuffed to like an angry manager let's say They're able to say like the way that I'm best managed is when someone speaks to me like this and you speak to me like this. Could we try, you know, doing this or whatever? Um, So those things hand in hand will really start to help that manager build some people skills. And those, you know, we call them soft skills, but they're not soft. They're essential skills. 
um, you know, building those things up. But it also creates a stronger bond between management and their staff and the people that they manage. Um, and we also, it's a really great system too, because it means that we also might find problems that we weren't aware of. And your staff might have the solutions to them already. So then like it's already increasing, increasing stuff. So that's a really great way to go. If you go to the Healthy Poor website, <clears throat> it's healthypoor.org. There's a resource page and then there's, um, there are some worksheets. There's one in particular, it's the post shift processing worksheet that just has people answer questions about how their shift went. It's something I recommend managers do, the staff does. You can rip it up and throw it away when you're done or you can turn it in or you can find someone to talk to about it to be like, this didn't go well today. I wanna go through and like process this a little bit with you. Um, it helps to just one, get it out. But also there's so much important data on paper like that. Instead of like, if a shift goes south and then people just close out and then go to the bar to decompress, you don't get any of that. But if there's a place for someone to put that information and then a manager can look at it and be like, oh, wow, that was a thing. Then we can start problem solving. And that helps to build manager skills as well. Um, so technology has been really used during the pandemic to help restaurants. Um, is there any way technology can be used to help the staff and kind of support them in their mental health journeys? I think so. Um, you know, I'm taking a learning and development course right now for school and it's awesome. It's so much fun, but we are moving in the way of having training all online, you know, which, which is great, you know, which is really, really great for sure. Except there are some pitfalls in terms of does the entire team have access to a working smartphone or a computer? Can they, you know, is the restaurant helping them to be able to have access to that training? Um, but I think that there's a lot of potential for technology. I know that like hot schedules has the whole, like, how is your shift that you can rate your shift and provide feedback in there. I don't think we've tapped that potential in terms of well-being as much as we should, you know, and taking those analytics and, you know, finding patterns. And like when people are feeling great, we see that people are on time more or, you know, the turnover changes or like integrating training into those platforms. Um, there's, there's a lot of potential there that we could do. Um, yeah, I think at this point, the biggest thing, I don't, the other thing I guess I would say about technology is I do worry that the future of restaurants, we're seeing more technology take over in terms of like ordering, um, and taking like, you know, other systems instead of a human being to go through these processes of an order and payment and stuff like that. I caution restaurants from that, not just because I am an advocate for like the workforce, but we're just sort of removing the actual hospitality from our operations. We can't have hospitality without an exchange of like an emotional exchange from one person to another. That's not, otherwise it's just service. Um, so I challenge people and encourage people to think like, how can we continue to provide hospitality while also maybe reimagining what our systems looks like by utilizing technology. We don't wanna lose the people element of it though. And if you do have technology taking over jobs and you have people working in your space, that doesn't create a really great environment if they're always in fear that their job is gonna go away. You know, right. So those are things to think about as well. But at this point, the online learning potential, 
um, communication potential. <clears throat> that also that communication piece with technology also needs to come with boundaries of like don't text people when they're not at, like when they're not at work or like five hours after they leave their shift and they're probably sleeping. Um, right. Those types of things. I mean, it creates like there's a lot of good stuff that can come from technology, but also a lot of challenges as well. So tell me about the Healthy Poor Symposium. Um, you know, when is it? Just the, you know, the basics. When is it? And, you know, and why someone should attend? Yeah. So the Healthy Poor Symposium um, is a virtual conference from April 18th to the 20th, where we are talking about well-being in the workplace. Um, this is a conference that is suitable for business owners, operators, managers, people who are emerging leaders, unofficial leaders, um, frontline workers, um, you know, the more hourly staff, but also like brands would benefit from this. Um, hotels, distilleries, wineries, like it really does capture like all elements of work. But what I started finding, because I speak a lot at conferences as a panelist or a presenter, and a lot of the conversations around things like mental health and well-being are not accompanied with uh, actual like licensed professional or an academic like expert, let's call them, you know, someone studying these things. A lot of the times what we see is, um, you know, people of the industry talking about their experience. And that is so, so valid. But what I wanted to do with the Healthy Poor Symposium is combine that with that academic or like clinical expertise of like, this is the experience that's happening. And then the expert can say, this is why. And it creates a fun marriage between these two. Like often academia is off to the side doing their own thing. And then like the practical work in restaurants is over here doing their thing and they don't ever connect, which is a shame because they would so benefit from each other. <laughs> so this is like my bridge to that. So yeah, it's a really, it's, so it's a good opportunity. And the way that we've put together a lot of the seminars, which I'm not ready to announce yet because my names are just all working titles, but um, the way that we've put together the seminars is that it's a great introduction to well-being conversations, but you will also learn a bunch if you're already deep into the well-being space. Um, we want people to see like, oh my gosh, there's so much more we could be doing. And it's cool that there's so much more we can be doing. I don't want this to be something that people see more like, more things on their to-do list instead of like, oh my gosh, we can transform our space. That is awesome. So all of our seminars are pre-recorded, with the exception of we have two processing groups every day. For if like if you know our stuff is pretty light, like it's not going deep into someone's trauma or anything. But if someone wants to process it and be like, God, I think I've kind of been a jerk to my team, they have a space for that throughout the day. Um, but everything is pre-recorded and accessible after the 20th. So you can sign up for it and not watch it until, I don't know, three months later. Or you could watch it on the 20th and then be like, I want to return to that in a few months and see kind of how we're doing. So that's all on the, on the Healthy Poor Institute um, and registration is available now. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you.